Drive Time Radio with New York Vinny. Well, a very good Saturday morning to you. How are you? The day after Christmas here in the beautiful Pacific Northwest where it's gray and light. It's struggling (laughs) to come from the sky. But that's okay because it is the day after Christmas. The rush is over. We are back together for a final time in 2020. Our next show will be in 2021. And in an informal poll of everybody I've talked to since, I don't know, you want to say maybe June or or April uh, of uh, 2020, Many people, most people, I can't think of many people that want to see this year stick around. Can't wait for 2021 to uh, get in here. And not that anything is going to change, but that at least it'll just be that that mindset of, okay, uh, we're on to something new. We're on to a new year. We're on to something different because we got to get rid of the year that we have. And... Um, I'm, I'm all for that. So this will be our last show of this year. Out with the old, in with the new. We're joining you right now on Facebook Live as well. And um, what do we have planned for you this week? Oh, oh, boy. Do we have a show planned for you? We will reveal, uh, I believe, what you could call the finalists in the top five cars I did not want to give back this year. A lesser number of cars this year because of the pandemic. So we didn't have the events to go out to and drive. Uh, you know, we usually have at least two major events here in the Northwest that we go out to drive different kinds of cars that we might not normally have access to in the Northwest, in our press fleet up here. Uh, but we didn't get to do that this year because both of the great events, uh, Mudfest, uh, and Run to the Sun, uh, which are put on by uh, John Vincent and Nick Miles and the, um, the, the Board of Directors and Officers of the Northwest Press Association, Northwest Automotive Press Association, did not happen this year. So we're a little light on the number of cars to pick from and, frankly, the quality uh, that we pick from. But, luckily, uh, the car companies, after uh, taking a few weeks to figure this thing out, uh, started to get cars back into our hands and really went ahead and um, made sure that we had enough cars to uh, keep our shows going, to review, to keep everything. They along work hand-in-hand with the manufacturers to make sure that they came up with a plan that would safely allow us to transfer cars between drivers and also continue to do what we do, which is look at cars and report to you on what we see uh, in case you're thinking of buying a car or you're just an automotive enthusiast or whatever reason uh, that you are into cars. And that was a great thing because there was a big fear when this whole thing happened that this all might go away until the pandemic was over. Uh, But luckily, uh, that did not happen. 
Uh, as I said, it went away for a short while. Uh, but that was it. So we, um, we have cars to talk about and have cars to review and have cars to tell you about. And we will pick five cars out of all of the cars that we drove this year. And I think it was 54 cars. I didn't do a final count, but I think I drove 54 cars this year. And in a year, I normally might have driven 100. So that's the, the kind of the level, probably half the cars that we normally would have driven uh, came out. The one that I am very excited to drive, which I just found out, is coming into the um, fleet up here for uh, sampling. By the way, my Chris, what do you get for the guy who has everything? A trailer. Which way? <laughs> get out and see the world. Uh, so we're going to narrow it down. We'll have the, the, the top five cars I didn't want to give back, the number one car I didn't want to give back. And it's such a – and I'm – playing around with this. I won't do it this year. But I think we're going to have to break them out into categories uh, because I think it's unfair for me to say, okay, well, we had the Corvette this year and we had the Genesis G90. Both of them made the list. Both of them great cars, but both of them designed to do something different. And you got to have, you know, you have to maybe pick a car out from each category, like an SUV. And like a, uh, you know, the, a, a performance car and a family car or something like that. Go with like three categories like that. Something, something in that line of thinking so that we have an opportunity not only to, to create more awards. We don't want to do that necessarily, but we want to make it fair. And not that I have any delusions that, you know, you listen to me and I say, oh, my car of the year is a Corvette. And you go out and you buy a Corvette because Vinny said so. You go running into the the Chevy dealer, uh, you know Chuck Olson over there in Aurora, and say, Chuck, get me a get me a Corvette because New York Vinny said to buy a Corvette. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think that. But I think when you listen to me, and I know people have talked to me about this and told me about this, is, is when you hear, let's say. In the case of the Kia Seltos, okay, find you a small SUV that Kia introduced this year. And if you hear uh, somebody that does a show like this, or you read a column of somebody that writes one or a report or a review, I think it does sway you. I think it's one of the factors that you weigh. Well, this guy knows about cars. He drives all these cars. What does he think about this particular car? By the way, the Seltos did make the list uh, because it's that good of a small SUV. Kia really got uh, got it right, and a friend of mine actually wound up buying one. And from what I know and what I've talked to her about, she loves it. So I gave her some good advice. I felt good about giving her that advice uh, about the Kia Seltos. So... We have that, so we'll break that down for you. We're also going to grab an interview. I believe that we will have this uh, that we did early on this year in February, and I was just so taken with the uh, 
gentleman I did the interview with. Now, you may remember the movie Ford versus Ferrari, which um, was all about uh, Ford wanting to compete at the 24 Hours of Le Mans with uh, Ferrari. And, um, you know, the, the, the brass at Ford saying, build something that will beat the, uh, the Ferraris, and they built the Ford GT, the GT40, I guess. And lo and behold, they beat them at uh, Le Mans. And I think it, it brought a lot of interest into that area of racing where many times Americans don't pay as much attention to it as, I don't want to say that they should, uh, but the rest of the racing world does. It's more, you know, drag racing and, and you know, those uniquely American styles of racing. Uh, in NASCAR, America pays attention to that. You know, you get 100,000 people out to a track on a weekend. Easy. In, uh, in, to watch guys make left turns. But the more refined, more intricate, more balanced, I guess, in some ways, um, Le Mans and the F1 circuits don't get the same kind of interest in America. And we're talking about America with, you know, the, the flag waving and everything like that, than the NASCAR, the pickup trucks, the sprint racers, which are all great. Um, especially the sprints. I love the sprints. I really, uh, in, when I was a kid, my dad used to take me to those, and I used to really enjoy them. He had a friend uh, that was a big sprint racer on Long Island, owned a junkyard, and had the little four-cylinder, what were those, Allison engines that they used to drop in those things. They were awesome to watch. I remember getting to sit in one when I was a kid and thought it was extremely cool. So we will have that for you. We'll have the, the finalists, and then next week we'll reveal uh, the top five. And uh, the one that I totally, absolutely did not want to give back. And there was really a couple. Uh, I think as we close out 2020, we have seen and are seeing one of the best years ever for cars. Uh, cars are better today than they ever were. And it's a fact of life. And listen, you can get old guys like me to tell you, oh, I remember the, the you know, the, the you know, the uh, 409 Chevy Impalas, and oh, I remember the LT1 Corvettes and the ZL1 Corvettes and, uh, you know, the 396 Camaros and, you know, the Boss 302 Mustangs and all oh, those great names and they great colors. It was all wonderful. But, you know, a lot of those cars didn't stop well. A lot of those cars were on drum brakes. A lot of those cars didn't steer all that well. It was kind of a crapshoot when you would, when you would, you know, had, had regular uh, ball joint steering mechanisms. They weren't putting rack and pinion steering in those cars. Now you flip up here to 2021, and you go out, you buy a, a Challenger, and, I mean, it, it goes where you point it. It goes quicker than 
any of those cars really did off the showroom floor. It's safer. It has airbags and big brakes and Brembo's and, you know, a lot of stuff to make the cars. It has collision avoidance systems built in and everything. So while you still have to know how to drive, without a doubt, the cars that are being built today are safer, better, I think more fun to drive, unless maybe you're driving in a straight line. And certainly, um, certainly aesthetically pleasing as well. So, uh, you know, you look at, and I think with the electrics, it'll really be interesting because the electrics are going to put us in a place, you know, you don't have a transmission, you don't have, you know, it's just direct drive, go. And I think those are really, really going to be interesting when we, um, when we really start to see those cars being built uh, for competition as well. And they'll be environmentally sound, won't they? Or will they? That's something we're going to examine in the weeks to come as well, is, you know, the question that keeps looming up, well, you know, we're building all these electric cars, how much carbon is it going to cost to run these cars, to build these cars, to do what they want to do? Which is in essence, eliminate the gasoline engine, which I don't think they'll ever do completely. But I think that there's going to come a time when, uh, you know, you're, you're, you won't think of a gasoline engine first when you go to buy a car. It won't be an automatic. You'll start to think, well, what am I using this car for? And, you know, and what am I, you know, what, what am I using this car for? What's the best way for me to power it? And you'll have choice. You'll have options. And really, when you come down to it, that's what the car business is about, isn't it? Selling the options. Sorry, my throat is still a little raspy as it is, as it has been really for the last four years. So I do apologize for it, though. I have to uh, go to therapy to get that big booming voice back again. That radio voice. Let us find out at this point in time how our good friend Nathan is doing. Nathan, good morning, Pally. How are you? Good morning, Vinny, and I hope you had a very safe, merry, and joyful Christmas. It was safe. It was merry. It was joyful. And uh, it was fun. I had a great meal, and I got to cook a great uh, seven fishes meal with my beautiful daughter on Christmas Eve. And we hadn't been together on Christmas Eve in a while, so it was... uh, It was a lot of fun. What about you, Nathan? What did you do? Did you have a good uh, Christmas? I'm still kind of celebrating it. I'll be joining some Zoom calls with family later on today. But yesterday was pretty simple. Everybody was working, so just took it easy. Opened uh, Christmas presents later in the day. And by the way, I think Santa is listening to your show. You do? One of the gifts I opened up was a dash cam. You opened up a dash cam. I did, and I think it was inspired by your show a couple weeks ago. Wow. Well, I think that's pretty good then. I think that if we can get you a little uh, a little camera, uh, I actually have to get a new dash cam. Mine blew out, <laughs> so oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have to wait for the after Christmas, uh, you know, fifty percent off on dash cam sale. Um, well, good. You'll have a lot of fun with that. I think every car should have one. 
Well, I don't think I'm going to necessarily use it for fun. I uh, ask for it as more of a peace of mind, safety, and security uh, aspect to my car. So in case something does happen, I have video evidence to say, hey, I was not in the wrong. It was somebody else's fault, if it was their fault. And right. uh, just make it, you know, like I said, peace of mind while driving. Well, good. Well, I'm glad that you, uh, I'm glad that you got that. Um, I'm sure there's more stuff coming for you from Santa as well. Uh, I'm, I'm almost positive of it because Santa sometimes drops stuff in the mailbox a little late. You know how Santa can get. <laughs> that and uh, all the quarantine stuff has probably slowed him down a little bit. I think he's probably running his uh, uh, toy factory at slower pace because he can't bring in as many elves to work. Right, they have to socially distance the elves to, uh, you know, to make sure that everything is, uh, you know, complies with Governor Inslee's uh, different codes. Because after all, I think we are. I mean, I know the the, the main shop is up in the North Pole, but uh, I do believe we have an auxiliary shop somewhere out back by Carnation. I think so. I think I saw it passing by the other day. Yeah, right up. You go up that Tolt River Road there, and all the way up the end, and I think it. You kind of go up that, make that right, and go right up that thing, and it's right there. So, well, that's good. I'm glad you had a good, uh, a good Christmas, and uh, are you looking forward, to, like most people are, to closing out this uh, ridiculous 2020 and moving on to 2021? <laughs> yeah, I definitely would say that my most exciting factor is closing out 2020. I mean, we got to get rid of it. Yeah, it's like a bad pimple, you know. We got to pop this thing <laughs> and let it go. Exactly. Get the pus out of it, and uh, and and move on to uh, to bigger and hopefully uh, better things. Well, Nathan, do you want to ask me a question this morning? Sure thing. Uh, let's see, what's that question again? Oh yeah. Yo, Vinny, what are you driving this week? Uh, you can always depend on Nathan, man. He's got he is he's got things clicking, clicking, folks. All right, what am I driving this week? I'm driving the uh, twenty. 21 Chevy Trailblazer, which is, um, well, what can I say about the Chevy Trailblazer? It's a small SUV. Uh, it's a little all-wheel drive SUV that uh, I don't know that I would uh, necessarily take it off-road, but this isn't designed for off-road. This is designed as an economical people mover. It's designed to move four people uh, from point A to point B, um, with a little bit of luggage space in the back and a car-like feel to it, it's almost like a um, uh, a Malibu, almost like a Malibu station wagon. You know, it's funny the the Blazer. Uh, it kind of is like the Camaro station wagon. It's got a little bit of style to it. It's got the Camaro dashboard. It's got a sporty feel to it. Well, they didn't do all of that with the Trailblazer. I think they went much more for. Uh, for economics here, much more for um, an ability to go out and buy a car that you can fit a small family in, and that's exactly what the uh, Trailblazer is, is a car, is a small family urban car, uh, that, uh, and I call them urban cars, not that they don't work in the country, but that they're small, they're maneuverable, they make U-turns in a quick space inside of a city, they're easy to park. Uh, there, uh, there's a little modicum of fun in the ride, 
and um, they're not overly expensive. They fit into, uh, you know, the average family's budget. You can go out and, get, and tailor a payment on one of these cars to reach the average family budget. So that is, um, that's what I'm driving this week, the Chevy Trailblazer. Of course, we'll have the full review uh, on that car coming up for you in uh, at a future drive time. But uh, so far, uh, I've enjoyed this car. It was a nice little car to drive around uh, for Christmas. Uh, and uh, an interesting thing that they did on this car, and I've never seen this on a car before uh, from the factory. I think I may have seen it, but they... Um, it's a two-tone, <clears throat> excuse me, but it's a, a dark copper roof with a black body. So it has kind of that floating roof line that, you know, you're used to seeing on so many SUVs these days or little uh, crossover vehicles more. And I got I to gotta be honest with you. I'm a, it's a very attractive color combination. I would have never, if you'd have told me, well, Vinny, what do you think about this? You know, the copper and the and the black. Eh, I don't know if I really thought about it, especially the dark copper. But I, I, I don't, and I don't know that I've ever seen that color combination on a car from the factory before. But very attractive. It gives the car a nice look. And <laughs> the other. Where was I? I was in um, Target in Linwood. It also gave the car a, a distinctive look that I could find it in the parking lot. Because as you could imagine, for me, sometimes I'm sitting there going, what the heck am I driving this week? <laughs> Literally, because I'm saying, you know, I'm clicking the key to try to figure out because sometimes you forget. You've got a million things on your mind. Um, with that copper roof and the black body. You couldn't forget it. Nice uh, nice job by Chevy of uh, that color combination. All right, we'll take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to um, do one of our uh, – uh, we're, we're going to replay uh, one of my favorite interviews of the year uh, from one of my favorite movies of the year. And, uh, of course, if I think I just gave it away to you, uh, Ford versus Ferrari – is the movie we got to talk to one of the guys that were there actually for all of that in the 60s 1965 the mid 60s in the pits in Le Mans most Nolan from Ford will join us next right here on drive time radio it's new it's new it's new the new new 62 Lark by Studebaker with big car comfort at compact prices New, highest, widest doors of all. New, big, sofa-soft, deep padded seats. New, thick, rich pile rugs and flat flush floors with no trip over sill. New, lock limousine, stretch out room, big car comfort at a compact price. New, giant lock trunks, almost 17 cubic feet of cargo space. New, Big 15-inch wheels give you new riding comfort and surprise. New fresh styling in the big, wide, wonderful line of Larks from Studebaker. Two new Lark Daytonas, America's newest action car in hardtop and convertible style. With bucket seats, very sporty. A companion console compartment, very spiffy. Available, too, four-speed transmission for exhilarating performance. 
Now enter the most luxurious car you'll find in the compact price range, the Lark Cruiser. More room and luxury than you'll find in most cars. Here's the new 62 Lark Hardtop with sliding sunroof. Available on all Lark sedans and hardtops. Simply beautiful. Just peek inside. Look at these big, loungy limousine seats and thick pile rugs. Here's the new Lark convertible, all dialed up with new 62 styling. There's big wagon room in the new 62 Lark wagon, too. Look at that enormous cargo space. Please be sure to see and test drive all the exciting new 62 Larks at your Studebaker dealer with big car comfort at compact prices. And remember, they're endurance built by Studebaker. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 1150KKNW. And back with you here on Drive Time Radio on Alternative Talk 1150KKNW. New York, Vinny, hanging with you on a Saturday morning. The movie Ford versus Ferrari. I don't know if you got a chance to see it. Um, if you did, rush to your movie t- uh, theaters like your hair is on fire to uh, go and watch this movie, go and see, uh, I think, a spectacular movie. I think they did a great job with this thing. And I guess people that go to the movies do, too, uh, because it is nominated for several Academy Awards. And uh, the job that uh, uh, Matt Damon uh, did as Carol Shelby and um, um, Christian Bale as uh, Ken Miles, the British racing driver, uh, were really in- incredible, incredible uh, uh, work in this thing. Uh, it was nominated for, let's see, Best Picture, Best Sound Mixing, Best Sound Editing, and Best Film Editing. Uh, but the Best Picture is uh, the one that I think um, it, I don't know if it's going to win it. There was a great article in GQ that said that it should win. Anyway, we got a chance to catch up with one of the gentlemen who was there when this was all happening, Mose Noland was a mechanic uh, at Ford, an engine builder, and he was picked as one of the people to work on this project. I mean, this was Ford's uh, space project. They wanted to beat Ferrari in uh, the road racing circuits in Europe, and they were charged with exactly uh, that to go out there and build a car that would beat the Ferraris out on that uh, GT circuit, and they certainly did. So let's hear now from uh, Mose Nolan. Mose, good morning. How you doing? Mose Nolan joins us, longtime employee of the Ford Motor Company. Mr. Nolan, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Uh, we're doing fine here in Dearborn. Good, good. Are you out of the snow already? Well, uh, we've got plenty of it. We got an early blast here uh, a few days ago, but... Uh, uh, the good Lord has put the sunshine on us and started to take it away. There you go. See, now you'll be able to, to roll that, that Mustang out of the garage real soon and take it back out in the snow. You <laughs> I, you were I there, hope. huh? I mean, you really, it's it's amazing to me that, that you are the, the, the living embodiment of somebody who was there and watched this entire thing unfold as an employee of uh, Ford Motor Company is one of the people who were so involved with the program. I- explain to, to our audience a little bit about how you got how you got to work on the GT cars that eventually knocked Ferrari off. Well, in um, 
1955, Ford hired me as an experimental mechanic in their experimental engine build area. And at that time, we were working on uh, pre-production engines for testing to go into the uh, production cars. We worked uh, about five years in advance of the, of the showroom. And as uh, time went on and they got acquainted with uh, uh, my skills, anyway, I'll speak about my skills and the way I handled my uh, assignments, um, I was steered towards assembling NASCAR engines. At that time, the NASCAR boys... Uh, took care of the chassis, the racing, and trying to acquire sponsorship. It was kind of a poor boy operation back then. Uh, Ford Engineering furnished all the engines. Uh, we would build, uh, assemble uh, NASCAR engines, and then uh, have, um, every Thursday a uh, transporter from the south would come up and drop off a bunch of used engines from the last weekend, take on fresh engines, and uh, the next Thursday, we just re- repeat that journey. And uh, that's uh, how I got acquainted with the techniques uh, and uh, the particular precision skills to build race engines. Well, then came along uh, 1963, they did, Mr. Ford decided to go to Indianapolis, and I was selected to hand build uh, Indianapolis prototype and test engines. And after that program ended, uh, right at the very end of it, uh, they uh, they decided that they're going to take on the 24-hour uh, Le Mans uh, circuit and uh, asked me to join them. And how how was the the, the thought of because Ferrari had owned that circuit uh, for years and years and years? What was the the thought among? Um, you know, the, the, the kind of people that were working on these engines and on these cars when uh, Mr. Ford said, I, I want to knock Ferrari off. I mean, it seemed to be a challenge to everybody, but did people look at each other and go, is this guy's crazy, or what happened? Well, you know, a- after, after all the trials and tribulations of getting around Indianapolis and winning it with Jimmy Clark and, uh, and Colin Chapman's Lotus, uh, we felt like we had a, a good chance at it. And, uh, of course, uh, we might have been a little overzealous because it is a very uh, high visual race, and it's very trying for driver and machine to go the 24 hours at that pace. But, anyway, uh, they set out to do that, and and I was very fortunate to be one of a a couple of uh, engine personnel that was put off into a clean room to assemble these engines. So, uh, and 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 the prior to that, uh, Le Mans is attempted by some privateers and Allen Mann and our our little 289, what we call our small block engine. And it was, uh, you know, it was probably prob- quite problematic in the in the first few races attempt, and it just was have the brutality to handle the Mozon straight for for 24 hours. So the idea come along to, hey, we've got a brute of an engine in a 427 NASCAR engine. Why don't we trade horsepower for durability? So that was uh, the plan in which to modify the NASCAR engine and detune it and uh, get it to where it slipped into the Mark II, at, at Mark IV at that time. 
and uh, goat testing, and our confidence began to climb at that time because we really thought what we knew about some test trips at Lamar with Ken Miles that uh, we stood a pretty good chance. Now, and we're talking to Mose Noland, uh, from former employee of the Ford Motor Company, who was there when the Ford versus Ferrari thing was actually going on back in the '60s. When you um, when you started hooking up with guys like Carroll Shelby, and I know you guys knew um, um, Holman and Moody from uh, from before. Uh, you know, you'd worked with them. Uh, did you all guys? everybody get in a big room and talk about how this was going to happen or did it just kind of organically happen? Uh, how was it when Shelby came on board with this project? Well, uh, most of us motorheads were familiar what uh, Shelby was doing and what he could do, you know, and we kind of thought that he was at that time that he was cream of the crop and, and we really uh, cheered the relationship that was growing between them. So we thought that, well, if he can handle the car, we'll do our very best in giving him horsepower, torque, and durability to to get it around. And of course, the Shelby team uh, was just excellent boys to work with. And it was also uh, kind of exciting to think that we were going to work with them shoulder to shoulder. So uh, it resulted in a good race relationship, and we prepared ourselves for go over there and uh, achieve that victory. Now, um, what was what was the atmosphere like in those days around the track? I know today it's so different. Uh, our lives, everything has become so sanitized. In those days, it was um, it was basically you could take a piece of bailing wire, literally, and hold something together and send a car out on the track. Well, that was the way it was in early NASCAR days, and and any racing prior to that. But uh, that we. We knew that we had to uh, select our best materials and use our best machine finishes and our best test methods if we were going to participate in that arena, the arena of Le Mans. That's, uh, we thought that that was the ultimate test on man machine. And, of course, we were focused on making the machine uh, worthy of it. You guys worked hard, obviously, as you look in the... Uh the movie, uh, and you see the movie, obviously there was a lot of hard work going on, not just with um, the drivers and uh, the designers and everything like that, but all the mechanics and everybody. But was it fun? I mean, was it, um, was it, was it fun back then when you were doing all of this work, or did you even realize what was going on? Well, it, first of all, it, it, was, it was serious work, and, and the, I'm not quite sure the movie showed uh, – its viewers the amount of work and and then the intense focus it takes to put together a machine that'll take uh, the 24-hour race and, and be competitive but anyway it is a very exciting movie and uh, geez i just i just hope it's a blockbuster and uh, it goes a long way but uh at the time you know it, it was a job a job that we knew that we had to take serious and there was a few of us there that were dependent on to be there uh, 10, 12 hours a day, uh, no excuses, no sick time and stuff like that. And I was quite willing to do that because I thought that this was quite a privilege to be able to work on uh, a, a program as important as that. That one was. That, that was a great year for Ford. I mean, you guys won Le Mans. You introduced the Mustang to a year and a half earlier. 
And uh, I don't know if a lot of people noticed, but Ford also built the um, the um, space headquarters in uh, in Houston. You guys were the, were the contractor, one of the major contractors, uh, and also put that whole thing together that uh, eventually got us to the moon. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is kind of amazing, isn't it? Uh, well, uh, I know here in Dearborn, uh, you know, what we call Ford country, uh, it was a booming year, and I know that we had our fingers in a lot of pie, but us who, uh, those of us that were uh, assigned to the Le Mans 24-hour program, um, we, we, we were narrowly focused on what we had to do and, and how we were going to get it done. Uh, we, our confidence was high because we did fare pretty good at Indianapolis, so uh, we, we knew that uh, we, we had the techniques, we had the materials, and we had the engineering background uh, to go after that victory. Uh, where were those engines built? Were they built in Dearborn, or were they Cleveland's, or Windsor's, or where did those engines actually come out of? Well, uh, the material came from all of our engine plants. We've got plants that specialize in blocks and heads. We've got cl- uh, plants that specialize in connecting rods, uh, crankshafts, and so on. And uh, so they were built, they were assembled in the experimental build area of the engineering area right here in Dearborn, right uh, adjacent to our wonderful Greenfield Village and the uh, Henry Ford Museum. We have an engineering building there that has uh, uh, t- turned out such engines, plus the engines for our cars and trucks that went through our showrooms. How much of what you did and what you worked on in those racing engines and, and other stuff too, I mean, not just engines, but brakes and other improvements that you made to those cars made it into production vehicles? Well, um, our, what, a lot of people don't, don't realize that Ford really took their racing serious. And, uh, of course, when you see the movie, it's got quite a bit of Hollywood in it. And it doesn't really uh, portray our seriousness, uh, the company's seriousness in motorsport. But at the all throughout our racing programs, whether it's NHRA drag racing or the Baja 1000 or Le Mans or Indy, uh, we turn in regular reports on progress of technology, especially um, new materials and new machining methods, uh, finer, uh, tighter dimensions on parts, and uh, and anything that will uh, assure durability and reduce friction and produce horsepower. What do you um, what do you think today when you see a seven hundred ninety seven horsepower car that rolls off of a showroom floor and you see the engines uh, today and I'm still staying with internal combustion right now um, but obviously now with hybrid and so on and so forth when you look at these engines and you look at the amount of horsepower per cubic inch and uh, you know in your day I think it was one to one you were looking to get a horsepower per cubic inch. Now it looks like they get they're achieving uh, you know three and four horsepower per cubic inch. What what, what do you think when you see that? Well, uh, when you're in the middle of it, you kind of understand uh, your potential of achieving that kind of a gain. Uh, but again, we have to ha- uh, hand our credit to the materials people and uh, the machining, and now we're into 
you know, the CAD design and things like that, where you can make a lot of decisions on uh, the right way to do it. And, uh, I mean, it, there's no doubt that the, the, the today's engineer and his computer works a lot faster and more accurately than the slide rule. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, really. Uh, you had to build the connecting rods, put them in a watch and break before you could uh, come up with something that 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 worked yeah. right, right? Yeah. And, uh, probably and had, another, probably had a box reason. outside of the garage door with stuff that you would look at as you were going home, saying, "I'll never yeah. try that again." Another breakthrough that we uh, achieved on uh, the Le Mans program was uh, we come up with a new testing tool. I call it a tool, but it, it was actually a dynamometer cell. But uh, Ken Miles had, had done some uh, early testing at Le Mans, and while they were there, uh, they actually uh, recorded uh, engine uh, positions, uh, uh, operating positions of you know throttle and and a, a lot of the specifics of the drivetrain. They actually recorded on a punch tape, and they had that. Basically, at that time, it was thought that they would plan race strategy because of how the engine performed at certain spots on the track. Well, then our test engineers at Dynamometer said, well, geez, you know, with that tape, we should be able to build a, a dynamometer that uh, accepts the whole drive line of the race car and... and you know, turn the switch on Friday night, and, and while you're away on the weekend, come back and you you've either run or busted within the 24-hour period. So um, they hastily put that together. What they did is they took two uh, General Electric dynamometers and mounted them on the bed plate, uh, the same distance apart as rear wheels in a race car, and we dropped the whole uh, drivetrain in between that. And then our uh, machine shops and the instrumentation people was hastily fabricating from basically from three by five cards and, and verbal instructions. So when that thing was uh, put together in a very quick time, uh, we were able to drop a mule on there, what we call a mule engine, and the race car drivetrain, and make all the adjustments on these servos and the timers. And uh, they were air-actuated servos that did the shifting, did the clutching, did the braking, did the exhilarator. Uh, to match that uh, that uh, position punch tape. And uh, sure enough, we had a dynamometer that mimicked the engine's requirements on the whole nine-mile circuit of, of that track. And, and for that time... Uh, back in the 60s, the middle 60s, that was revolutionary. I mean, nobody had done that before, right? That is correct, and that's we're kind of proud of that because uh, it was immediately recognized how valuable that is in uh, <clears throat> thoroughly testing your uh, your production uh, engines and other components of the uh, production car. Well, Mose, it's it's a, such a pleasure to get to talk to you and get to uh, get a little bit of the history of this. Uh, does does the fun of racing come across in this? I haven't seen the movie yet, but does the fun of what was going on then? I know the serious will come across. Seriousness will come across, but does the fun of what was going on come across? Oh, uh, certainly. It, uh, like I say, it's a very entertaining um, 
movie because we have uh, in that movie uh, Ford Motor Company had loaned the producer uh, actual film footage. So you're going to see some very exciting race cars and some very exciting racing. And then you're going to see uh, uh, our executives uh, being depicted there uh, and the relationship between uh, Shelby and Ken Miles and different members of Shelby's crew. You're going to see the relationship between our Ford executives and and those folks. So uh, it, it does fill in a lot of gaps for the, the, for the per- people that are interested in the 24-hour race and what occurred and how it occurred and so on. There's uh, some Hollywood and there's some uh, true story right in there. Mose, it's such a pleasure to catch up with you. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes out of your Saturday morning to talk to us. We really appreciate it. And uh, continue good luck. And uh, and thank you for everything you did to get uh, Ford into uh, and America, really, um, you know, in, into the uh, Le Mans and the Formula One racing scene. It was real. It's really um, for people who lived through that time, like I did. I was a little kid, but I was into racing. It was uh, it was really it was as big as the moonshot in 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 automotive circles when Ford beat Ferrari. Most thank you very much. Well, thank you so much for uh, looking in on us. I was honored to uh, to speak with you and uh, your audience. So. Get out and look at the movie this weekend and, and well, maybe get it an Oscar. Who knows? <laughs> you never know. Most thanks so much. God bless. Thank you, sir. Bye now. There you go. Mose Nolan, um, the, the mechanic, one of the mechanics who back in 1963, 62, 64, uh, worked on uh, the uh, engines that eventually won Le for Ford. Um, and we taped that with him earlier this year, very early this year, and uh, we hope that Moses is doing, uh, doing well and, uh, and, and okay. He was a fascinating guy to talk to him. I actually wound up talking to him once again after that interview, uh, just on the phone, just to hear some of his stories about racing in those days. All right, as we come up on uh, 8.50, we got a chance now to give you our weekly Saturday morning cartoon, our final one of the year, and we go with a tearjerker this uh this uh, Saturday morning, figure we'd have to uh, inject a little bit of reality into the uh, final days of the most real year that a lot of us have experienced in a long time. Here is Phantom 309 by country legend Red Sovine. From Big Joe and Phantom 309. There you go. Red Sovine and uh, Phantom 309, big, I think that was from like 1963 or 64, maybe even a little earlier than 62, but uh, the story uh, among stories you hear out there on the road of uh, truckers and uh, strange happenings in that one. What was a big country hit uh, back? There's there's a number of um, cartoons, uh, country tunes uh, that uh, you could actually dominate. You could do 52 a year of just country tunes. I mean, we always try to mix it up and uh, get into rock and roll and and uh, symphony and uh, classical and whatever we can find that has to do with cars. All right, the top, um, uh, this is Drive Time Radio, by the way. And we're not going to do a road test this week for our uh, final um, week. What I want to do is... 
quickly give you the list of the top cars that we have pulled out. We'll post this list on Facebook as well and from and um, <clears throat> our Twitter feed. And we are getting ready to get our website back up and going again, uh, Full Tilt Boogie. So you'll be able to keep in touch with uh, me from all throughout the week. We'll have notes up there, uh, like a little blog about the cars I'm testing, what I like, what I don't like, uh, so on and so forth. But in no particular order, uh, these are the top cars of the year uh, that, uh, that I drove. No surprise here that the Corvette is at the top of the list. Um, just, you know, for me, that's a dream car for me. We'll have to see how it fares against some of these other. BMW 6 Series, uh, the Tahoe, Chevy Tahoe High Country uh, made the list we just had last week. The Hyundai Sonata Hybrid. <clears throat> a couple of Mercedes made the list. The E300 uh, that we drove. And the Mercedes Sprinter. Um, is on my list as well. We had on the July 4th weekend a great vehicle. I love them. My friend's son actually is converting them into campers, and I want to get him on the show. My friend Keith's son is uh, making them into campers, and I want to get him on the show uh, in the new year and get him to talk about that process a little bit because um, it's the hot thing, man. Uh, taking these uh, sprinters and converting them into campers. The Ford F-350 Super Duty Platinum, the Toyota Supra, uh, the Toyota Avalon TRD, I thought was a great car. Uh, The Hyundai Palisade, the Kia Seltos, the Chevrolet Bolt, the Ford Mustang, the Mazda CX-30, the VW Atlas Cross Sport, and last but not least, the Genesis G90 uh, that we drove just a couple of weeks ago. All of those are um, on the list. From that list, we will whittle it down to the top five cars you did not want to give back and an honorable mention. Uh, We'll probably have a couple of honorable mentions. If you go to the Drive Time Radio Facebook page, which is at Drive Time Radio and TV, or you can search me out, New York Vinny, uh, on um, Facebook as well. You, um, I will have all of these posted, and you can leave your thoughts on which one you would like to see as the top um, car of the year, the one car that I did not want to give back, or the top five cars uh, that I didn't want to give back. Uh, these are cars, again, we get this from the fact that we get a week media loan, one week, and there are certain cars that when you're done with them, it's nice that you drive the car, you review it, you take your notes, you take your picture, um, they come from the company, they pick the car up, and you wave it goodbye. And it's, uh, you know, you say goodbye. Then there are other cars that when they come for those cars, you don't want to let them leave the driveway. You call up and you say, uh... I'm not going to be back till uh, 5.30 in the afternoon uh, with this car. I'm taking it here. I'm taking it there. I'm doing this. I'm doing it. You try to get every possible second you can out of the car. And that is uh, what the top uh, the top car is, the top five. All right. That's going to put it in the books for a final 
um, show for 2020 as the year gets ready to exit. I will exit this way as well. Thank you all for listening. Uh, Thank you to Nathan for making things work. And we will catch up with you next Saturday morning at 8 o'clock if the Lord's willing and the creek don't rise right here on 1150 KKNW. Have a good week.